Impact Up. Welcome to the Impact Up podcast, where you will hear stories of how businesses big and small are using technology for social good. My name is Hendrik Hamann, and I am the Chief Science Officer for Climate Sustainability in IBM Research. Today, you will be hearing an interview between our hosts, Daryl, my colleague, and Fabian Roman from Plan 21. They will be talking about how technology can help smallholder farmers in Latin America practice generative farming. I will be back after the interview. Hi there and welcome everybody. My name is Daryl Pereira. I'm a senior brand and content strategist here at IBM. Really happy today to be joined by Fabian Romel from Plan21. So Fabian, just in your words, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. First of all, let me say thank for this uh, kind invitation and this opportunity to share our point of view here in Latin America. Well, I was born in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, but I, I have been living for a long time on an eco farm close to, to Buenos Aires city. I have a very nice family. I have four children and a great partner, and I really enjoy the family time. I got uh, my degree as chemical engineer at the University of Buenos Aires. And later, uh, I got uh, a specialization uh, and a master's degree at the Bolivarian University of Chile and the University for International Cooperation, both in uh, sustainable development. I worked for several years in the oil industry until I decided to live and change my life, in fact, training sustainability and be one of the, the founders of, of Plan 21. I'm talking about more than 20 years ago. I also have extensive academic career as professor and researcher at the University of Lanús of Argentina. I have been very, very lucky to work in many countries, more than 20 countries throughout my professional life. And I have always uh, been interested in social issues uh, since my uh, university days. And uh, in some way, Plan 21 is uh, a response to that, uh, to that concern. And talking about Plan 21 is uh, a network of uh, volunteers and uh, it's uh, an NGO for development uh, born in Argentina, but with a very strong, you can say strong DNA and commitment to, to Latin America. Plan 21 has three main programs, sustainable tourism, climate change, and regenerative agriculture. Okay. Wow. That's impressive. And you've obviously, as you say, you've had a life change. You've been in many different areas. You've seen many different parts of the world. So really excited to get you to share your perspective. And as you say, one of the areas that you're focused on is regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming. What was the motivation? Tell us a little bit about in terms of how that came about and why the focus in that particular area. In Latin America, the, the region with, in which uh, Plan 21 develops its programs, small-scale agriculture is one of the most relevant economic activities for low- and middle-income people. 
On the other hand, taking into account our mission to facilitate processes for sustainable human development, working on regeneration is, is a sort of uh, an abated strategy to fulfill our mission and achieve uh, a, a transformation of production systems. I think a great challenge when you're working in, in agriculture, in particular, if you want to, to work in regenerative agriculture, the great challenge is how to involve the smallholder uh, farmers in this process, who are generally uh, producing at a subsistence uh, level, are middle-aged, are not uh, uh, very familiar uh, with technology, and in general, don't have uh, a good uh, connectivity, uh, internet access. In other words, it's not enough to teach them about regenerative agriculture, about its benefits, uh, but to give them tools that allow them to make better decisions. And for, for Plan 21, for us, regenerative agriculture is not only about uh, taking care of biodiversity or uh, soil health, but also improving the life of small farmers. That's uh, the challenge. And in terms of how does that happen, like you say, be able to, you know, this intersection of being able to be sustainable, to be able to be, say, thoughtful in terms of the use of the land, but also then create the kind of economic environment that somebody needs to be successful, that they can, whether it's subsistence farming or even to go beyond that and to start thinking about how you could even turn this into, you know, perhaps turn a profit. We need to, to take care of the environmental issues, but also in, when you are talking about smallholder farmers, you need to pay attention to the economics problems they are facing. And they have a lot of problems. So the okay, climate change is, is, is one of them uh, uh, um, and is a very important uh, problem. But we need to, to stay close to smallholder farmers to, to help them to incorporate good practices but also taking care about how we can produce economic benefits to them. So in terms of achieving that, and like you say, when it comes to a problem like climate change, what's the role of technology and how can technology help play? How does help technology help you help these small farmers be regenerative in terms of their practices, but be able to then take on board, like you say, some of these big problems that we're addressing? The role of technology is uh, essential. It has a key role. One of the main strategic changes that we have carried out uh, at Plan 21 in recent years is to work with uh, technology to produce sustainability. What we call, and you call, a touch for good. It's not new at all. But, uh, technological innovation have had an enormous uh, impact on society in general, and of course, on economic activity. Environmental management is not exception. Regarding climate change, we see more and more initiatives uh, using artificial intelligence, or blockchain, internet of things, and the cloud, of course, which are adding value to global efforts. However, I think there is a, a lack of uh, greater emphasis on generating access to people and groups who cannot afford that technology. 
and who need it. Smallholder farmers are a very good example of that. Of course, and believe me, it's not easy uh, to, with those groups uh, talking about technology to involve them in that type of processes, but it's mandatory. It's necessary to try because they need the tools. Well, and there is a gap in access to technology to, to attend to, to, to solve. What is the, like, you know, we know that climate change is impacting a lot of different parts of the world. Can you give some real concrete examples of, of the kind of impact it will have on smallholder farmers that you're working with? You have impacts in the entire agriculture system. So it doesn't matter if you are a big or a smallholder, a, a farmer, but you, if you are a big company, you have more tools to face other problems. For example, in terms of uh, the weather forecast, okay, or uh, how to decide in, in general, uh, how to improve the decision-making processes. Mm? What is the best crop? What's the right time for plantation? Or what are the, the real irrigation needs, etc. So the precise, the accurate uh, uh, agronomic data, the level of organic matter in your soil. So the, the climate change is, is uh, affecting the whole agronomic uh, agriculture system, but uh, the, the, the smallholder farmer has uh, less tools to face the problems in terms of how to improve the, the, the decision-making process to improve the way to face the real problem you have in terms of uh, climate change or the decision about the crops, timing, irrigation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a matter of uh, what are the, the, the tools you uh, are available for you, uh, for your level to face uh, the challenge. Let's talk a little bit then about the actual technology and what was developed. And I believe you have the, the EV app. I hope I'm saying that right. But in terms of the app and what it does, um, just for our listeners that may not be aware, could you explain a little bit about what the app does? first, and then we'll get into how it was built. There is a previous story to understand EV. We have, a, a, as I said, a climate change program that was uh, born in 2007 called Carbono Zero, specialized in a calculation of carbon footprint. And more recently, we began to, to study the issue of water footprint, especially for agriculture. And uh, we found uh, an interesting topic to with market value, which led us to to begin measuring these uh, footprints, carbon and water for agriculture. At the same time, we began to develop a, a prototype of EV for Call for Code 2020, and we repeated improved version in 2021 in partnership with the Tecnologico of Costa Rica, a very important partner of Plan 21. During that year, 2021. We began uh, our uh, conversations uh, with uh, a sustainability accelerator, and we were uh, kindly invited to be part of this first court. At the beginning, EV, the application, was designed to uh, calculate carbon and water footprint, especially for agriculture. But with the support of the sustainability accelerator, we add a lot of functionalities. The process started from the initial prototype and changed, incorporating those new functionalities 
through a participatory process with chambers of exporters, a group of producers, cooperatives, uh, the Ministry of uh, Agriculture of Costa Rica, and many other stakeholders, emphasizing the voice of the, the users and their experience, reaching the current version of Phoebe that has 12 functionalities. As an example, water footprint calculation, a carbon footprint calculation, the possibility to know agronomic data for the farm, georeferencing, the um, irrigation needs, weather forecast, uh, seasonal forecast, soil regeneration plan, sustainability sense assessment, the possibility to create a QR code to show to the customers what are they doing and how they are doing, including uh, the, the carbon water footprints, but also uh, videos or a particular information of the family, also the possibility to include the historical records. So we have 12 functionalities and four of them came directly from the IBM APIs and the rest uh, were developed uh, by Plan21. But it's not a, a closed process. For example, we are now working with a big organic pineapple exporting company of uh, Costa Rica to make it even more attractive for smallholder farmers in that country. So it's, it's a, an initiative in progress. Uh, it's, not, it's not closed. That's amazing. So, um, that's, so the way in which both in terms of how this uh, a single mobile application can be so supportive and helpful to smallholder farmers. But in addition to that, the degree to which you've added all these other functionality and these other pieces that can help, as well as the partnerships that you've developed as well. It's um, very impressive. In terms of actual the emissions and how, how important do you think it is for farmers to understand, like you say, you know, even if it's these core levels of things like the amount of water being used or carbon emissions, how important is that for farmers to understand that? I think it's important, of course. But to be honest, this uh, depends on the size of the production. The smallholder farmers have a very complex situation. Uh, the context is very hostile from an economic point of view. So if we uh, want to work in regenerative agriculture, we must distinguish between those that use exportable goods under very uh, um, strict international regulations and those that produce for local markets. The importance of uh, understanding is a little bit relative uh, because I personally would like to see or would like everyone to understand the role we must play to face, uh, for example, the challenge of climate change. But I live a privileged uh, reality and I was educated in the paradigm of sustainable development. So I think we must be sensitive to the different levels of responsibility and impact and stay close to uh, smallholder farmers. So what do we do through EV? So that they can incorporate good practices that improve their decision-making. For example, the weather forecast mm -hmm. is a good example of that. 
and also educates about impact levels and how to deal with them through a soil regeneration plan or sustainability self-assessment or the calculation of footprints. It's relative, right? It depends on their specific needs and then in terms of the degree to which that information can be helpful right? in terms of things like critical decision-making. And I know you've worked with IBM and with our Sustainability Accelerator to address that challenge. Can you talk a little bit about that process and the value that you've had being part of that program? It was a great experience. It's been fantastic. I always say that Plan 21 has worked with IBM for 10 years now, and that's half of our life on different initiatives uh, uh, here in Argentina. But the Sustainability Accelerator was uh, a milestone of our collaboration with IBM. And in general, it's like a breaking point with companies uh, in general, with the private sector in general. And for sure, without their support, we would not be able to create such a powerful tool. And I'm referring to uh, financial support, of course, but also to IBM volunteers, uh, access to its technologies such as the, the cloud or, or, or APIs, and also to the, the company's network of uh, contacts, which is uh, very valuable and, uh, and diverse. And let me tell you this, the collaboration between Plan 21 and IBM is a, it's a two-way experience because in general, we, we see that each volunteer thanks us for the opportunity to learn about uh, other wars related to technology. And that is very, very valuable. Remember that Plan 21 is a, a small organization and the support of the accelerator uh, amplify the message of our program, really enhance the impact capacity of our program. Also their communication skills. Uh, being this podcast a good example. In terms of the future direction for EV, where do you see that going? What do you see as some of the opportunities? Well, EV aims to, to continue giving smallholder farmers uh, free access uh, to the best IBM technology. But that decision comes with the responsibility of funding that effort. We need to get resources to give uh, that technology for free. So that's why on one hand, we are looking for companies that can support us as IBM has done. And on the other hand, we are developing a premium version of EV to sell that service under the premise that hiring EV allows the company to support smallholder farmers. Also at the same time, the transformation of production models towards uh, on regenerative agriculture. Two examples of this, what we are doing now are the, the, the current development of uh, a version of EV to comply the new European Union uh, zero deforestation uh, law and also on the work uh, as Bumitra partners for soil organic carbon capture in Costa Rica and the transformation of them into uh, carbon credits. Bumitra is an American company specialized in that. This is an interesting partner of, of Plan 21. 
on the other hand, and it, it's, this is very new, we are about to launch uh, a, together with uh, other partners, a new open source initiative of which we cannot yet give more details, which uh, contribute, but which will contribute to improving the code through uh, a global community. Plan 21 will deliver the current EV code as a contribution to this new project, which uh, because it's global, we call OpenGIA. That's the name of the new open source initiative. How impressive that you're working on multiple fronts, right, in terms of what comes next, not just going in one direction. That, that's really impressive. In terms of, you know, as you mentioned before, what you're doing in this field of tech for good, what advice would you have for those that are in this space, either be looking to get started or to improve the situation they already have? Obviously, tech for good is a good thing. My personal advice is that you, you can and should work with that approach. And it's a path with market value. And of course, it's, it's obvious and very important, but it also creates better people and better organizations. Something that you should change you and make you more sensitive. What I mentioned before about the experience of IBM volunteers with Plan 21 who understand uh, more about the power of technology to build a more sustainable world. So it's highly recommended to work, uh, to create Edge for Good. Of course, you are all more than invited to contribute to EV and OpenGIA, but also many other good initiatives all around the world from NGOs or startups, or feel free to create your own because uh, there is a, a very interesting market to do it. But there is some other reasons because we live in times of great planetary and, and human challenges. And I think technological advances uh, can contribute much, much more than simply creating new billionaires from Silicon Valley. What a great message to end this interview. I really appreciate Fabian Roman from Plan 21. You taking the time today to tell us a bit about the story and the journey that you say Plan 21 has been on for uh, over 20 years now and um, look forward to seeing what the next 20 years will bring and and seeing what you can achieve. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Hey, Daryl, what are some of the key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, this is fascinating. And one thing that really stood out as talking to Fabian from Plan 21 is this idea that for smallholder farmers throughout parts of Latin America and throughout South America, they're having to make new decisions in terms of obviously uh, there's a, what Plan 21 does is help them be more cognizant and make better use of things like, for instance, water usage. And that's one area where, as Fabian points out, they're seeing that ch that's changing as climate's changing. You know, if they knew what water they needed years gone by, you know, the seasons are changing and the water usage patterns are changing. And so, for instance, technology has a role to play there. I don't know if that's something that you see in other businesses in terms of how they're having to change their operations or the decisions they make based on changes in climate. Definitely. I think you see this in most businesses where 
really there's this growing realization that we, you know, that we must make smarter decisions. We have to prepare, adapt for climate change. We have to try to mitigate climate change and data and technology becomes more and more important. Now, even day-to-day decisions, I see that much more informed by data, which you collect or which you get externally, such as weather data. And I see this all across organizations I work with. And in terms of that data that you talk about and gathering that weather data, just give a sense of what kind of organizations and how broadly is this being applied in what kind of places? I see businesses where really similar concepts are being applied across the globe, right? Many, many large businesses, for example, in agriculture, in our food supply chain, rely on uh, global supply chains and being more sustainable, being able to prepare for climate change. That's really one of the key drivers, right, to make these, these types of decisions. And when it comes to making these decisions and using the technology, what kind of advances, you know, even Fabian touched on the point that AI is being used more often, especially for noticing things like for determining patterns of watering for farmers. But when it comes to the kind of technologies that you're working on and the weather, weather sensing and making use of weather data, how's that space evolving? I think there's a huge shift. We are seeing how AI is done in general. Right. And that has to do with this notion of foundation models. Two years ago, most AI, right, most models you would build on data you collect, let's say weather data and other data about the soil, let's say in the context of agriculture, you would build a bespoke AI model. So something relatively specific to help you with, let's say, irrigation optimization. Now we have that advent of foundation models where you instead of building a specific bespoke model for application by application by application, you create a foundation. And that's powered by ideas of self-supervision, of being able to relatively easily get access to, to a lot of data. But you build a general representation, a general AI model, which then can be fine-tuned to these different applications. And I think that's very significant. In fact, it's super significant for what we're talking about here because it is really a route, a way, a pathway, a viable pathway to scale these solutions. At the end, right, we're talking about climate change. Climate change is a global problem. And anything we do, we got to scale and we got to scale it to different regions around the globe, to different environments, to different types of crops in this case, to different types of soils. So AI is evolving to become much more generalizable. And that's definitely good news as we're trying to see what we can do to better adapt and mitigate for climate change. And when you talk about these, say, these general models that then you fine tune, is it a case like you're saying that then you'd have a model that might work for maybe it's modeling a certain kind of data that might come in, maybe it's cloud data or wind data or something like that. And then when it comes to fine tuning, you take it and you fine tune it for different parts of the world. Or how does that part of it work? Yeah, exactly. So one very simple example would be, let's say you've built a model for irrigation optimization and you've built it, let's say, in a rather data-rich environment for certain geographic region, perhaps even for a certain crop, 
Now that is typically not transferable to, to other regions. So you would start over again, but through a foundation model approach, you can actually take that foundation model and then fine tune it with significantly less labels, which is often an issue in, in less data rich environments and take that knowledge from one area to the other. So transfer that, so to speak. So then you would just transfer to a different region or different crop or different uh, climate zone. And that's, that's really the core idea. And then instead of starting over again for each model, that, 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 you can actually start building on top of the foundation model. So that is really a game changer, if you ask me. Especially in the mainstream, we see a lot about when we hear about foundation models, when we hear about generative AI, we tend to think of it about say, maybe creative fields and text and, and some of things here. But what you're suggesting here is basically that you're using that same principle, but applying it to... I guess in what, what can some, you know, obviously this is a very different kind of source information you're working with here. Like you say, like in the irrigation example you gave, it's very different data that, that is being mapped into these systems, but the same approach can be used where you're saying that it scales rapidly, right? Before you'd have to try and build each one of these things independently. And that's where is that, that, that feels like the real opportunity here. That's exactly where the big advantage is. And agriculture is a field which has a, many, many of these different fine-tuning tasks, right? Or these different types of applications, hundreds of crops, all these different climate regions, different types of soils. But rather, starting over again, you build a foundation, capturing the basic knowledge of, for example, of weather, of climate, and then you take that and fine-tune it so you can actually achieve what you want to do, but with way less work. I'm Hendrik Harman. Thank you for listening to the Impact Up podcast. Subscribe to learn more how businesses, big and small, are using tech for good.